0: I really like Docketwise. It makes immigration applications easy by allowing the clients to provide information through simple online questionnaires that are shareable by text or email and available in multiple languages. Not only that, Docketwise provides a comprehensive group of case management features, including invoicing and calendaring, secure messaging, task management, and a lot more you can learn all about Docketwise and receive a 10% discount on your subscription by heading to docketwise.com immigration dash review so they know we sent you. And as always, this show does not constitute legal advice and has no bias other than to keep you up to date and to enable you, my dear colleagues, to excel in court. So without further ado, let's start the review. three cases this week, and while we don't have any wins for non-citizens, we've got interesting holdings on attorney admissions and concessions, credible fear proceedings, and document authentication. I hope everyone is having a pleasant December and enjoying their holiday season. Here are the cases. First, we're going to give some love to the 11th Circuit. Dos Santos v. U.S. Attorney General, published on December eleventh, 2020. This case is about concessions in immigration court and ineffective assistance of counsel. Miss Dos Santos is from Brazil and was brought to the U.S. on a tourist visa by her mother at 12 years old. 16 years later, as an adult, she got a DUI, and DHS, having become aware of her, initiated removal proceedings. For reasons unexplained, she never applied for DACA, so she didn't have it, making her removable. DHS charged Ms. Dos Santos as having entered without inspection and admission, the common charge under INA Section 212A6AI, known as IWI. But that was wrong. Ms. Dos Santos was inspected and admitted as a tourist when she entered as a child. She just overstayed her visa. Ms. Dos attorney nevertheless admitted the factual allegations and conceded the incorrect charge of removability, and indicated that Ms. Dos Santos would apply for asylum and related relief, which the immigration judge ultimately denied. Ms. Dos Santos appealed through a new attorney and argued that the IJ erred in sustaining removability under the IWI provision, and that her prior attorney was ineffective in conceding the charge. The BIA dismissed the appeal and the 11th Circuit dismissed the petition. It noted that litigants are bound by their attorneys' admissions and concessions in immigration court, absent, quote, egregious circumstances. The 11th Circuit didn't define what that term means, but it did provide some factors to be weighed, including, quote, one, whether the concession was untrue or incorrect, two, whether the concession was so unfair that it led to an unjust result, and three, whether the concession was the result of unreasonable professional judgment, end quote. Diving deeper, the 11th Circuit held that, quote, the challenged concession must be untrue or incorrect, end quote, but that is not alone sufficient. The litigant must also show that the concession was, quote, so unfair that it led to an unjust result, or that it was the product of unreasonable professional judgment. This includes, but is not limited to, unintentional concessions, material changes to the law that occur after a concession, and unreasonable professional judgment, which may, but does not necessarily, require an ineffective assistance of counsel showing. That last basis, unreasonable professional judgment, also requires a showing of prejudice. Here, Mr. Santos, at a minimum, failed to meet that standard because she couldn't show prejudice. She was, after all, removable as a visa overstay, even if she wasn't removable under the iwi provision. And so the 11th Circuit held that no unjust result occurred due to her prior attorney's concession in immigration court. Mr. Santos therefore lost her case. Here's a bit more on admissions and concessions. As if you needed any more reasons not to admit and concede factual allegations and removability in immigration court, here's your case. To quote the 11th, quote, After all, a concession on any point eliminates any need for the government to develop the record to support it, end quote. And according to the 11th, a concession is very often a, quote, tactical decision, end quote so feel free to remind any IJ or DHS trial attorney that you, as counsel, are choosing a different tactic on behalf of your client. And this is all the more relevant in light of EOIR's implementation of its new case flow processing procedure. Not to get too deep into it, and I actually don't have a problem with requiring written pleadings and scheduling orders but the ACIJ who gave the presentation about the new procedure last week kind of made clear that the process assumes non-citizens will admit and concede, and that non-citizens will have deadlines to file applications for relief before DHS even establishes removability. Not sure how that complies with the statute of the regulations, and we'll see how it actually gets implemented. But let's turn the 11th Circuit's negative in this case into a positive. Here, the 11th Circuit is stating, relying on civil case law and BIA precedent, that in immigration court, quote, a litigant is generally bound by the admissions in his pleadings, end quote, and DHS is a litigant too. In fact, this whole decision applies to DHS attorneys equally. Remember to argue in both bond and in removal proceedings that DHS is bound by its attorney's admissions and concessions in open court. It'll come in handy more often than you think. And that is Del Santos, the U.S. Attorney General. Next, we've got Singh et al. v. Barr, published by the Ninth Circuit on December 9, 2020. This is a short but dense case about credible fear proceedings and jurisdiction. The petitioners, both last names Singh, are Sikh individuals from India, One of them entered the United States without entry documents, and another approached the border in late 2018, and both expressed a fear of return to India. Asylum officers and then an immigration judge determined that both of them did not have a credible fear of persecution, meaning that they did not even receive an asylum hearing, and were ordered expeditiously removed. The petitioners then moved their respective IJs to sua sponte reopen the no-credible-fear findings, which the IJs denied for lack of jurisdiction under 8 CFR section 1208.30 G2. And in this case, the Ninth Circuit held that it too lacked jurisdiction to review the issue at all, pursuant to INA section 242A2A. The Ninth Circuit explained that this circumstance, review of an immigration judge's refusal to reopen a no credible fear finding, was different from normal cases where the Ninth Circuit usually has jurisdiction to review denials of regular motions to reopen. This is because the review of a credible fear finding is really, at base, review of an order of expedited removal, which INA Section 242A2A triple I -I 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 bars. That the petitioners technically were requesting review of a motion to reopen was immaterial because the matter connected to an expedited order of removal, or could be framed as an attempt to review procedures and policies adopted by the Attorney General, both of which INA Section 242 prohibits. The court also distinguished this case from its decision in Ayala v. Sessions and Bartolomé v. Sessions because those cases, quote, involved review of a reasonable fear determination in the context of a reinstatement of a prior order of removal, rather than a motion to reopen of a no-credible-fear finding tethered to an expedited order of removal. The fact that Ayala and Bartolomé arose in reinstatement proceedings rather than expedited removal proceedings makes all the difference jurisdictionally, to the Ninth Circuit. Wonky case. Here's one more wonk. Note, at least one of the petitioners actually physically entered the U.S. without authorization, but was nevertheless found inadmissible and ordered expeditiously removed by DHS pursuant to INA Section 212A7, which applies to applicants for admission. However. As I read the Ninth Circuit's very recent unanimous en banc decision in Torres v. Barr, non-citizens who are already physically present in the U.S. without inspection or admission cannot be charged as removable under INA Section 212A-7. That argument alone might have been grounds for relief from expedited removal, had it been argued. Just saying. And that is sing et al. v. Barr. Rounding out the week, we've got Igbor v. Barr, published by the 10th Circuit on December 7th, 2020. This is a convention against torture case that additionally covers authentication of foreign official documents. Mr. Igbor is from Nigeria, entered the U.S. as a visitor in 1998, and became a lawful permanent resident through his U.S. citizen wife in 2004. They divorced shortly after they had a child together. In 2014, he pled guilty to federal aggravated identity theft and federal conspiracy to commit wire fraud and other frauds, and was sentenced to eight years' imprisonment. Representing himself in immigration court, Mr. Igbor conceded removability and sought deferral of removal under the Convention Against Torture. This case doesn't say whether Mr. Igbor conceded his conviction was an aggravated felony or if the IJ made that finding, but either way, he sought only cat deferral. As the basis, he asserted that due to his status as a homosexual, he would be tortured if removed to Nigeria. He wrote in his I five hundred eighty nine asylum application that when he returned to Nigeria in two thousand six, he was caught romantically involved with a man, and was then stripped, beaten, and tortured by police. His partner died after the incident. mister Igbor, detained and pro se, presented the immigration judge with a significant amount of corroborating documents many from Nigeria and many official. But at DHS's urging, the IJ excluded many of Mr. Igbor's documents for failure to authenticate them as required under the regulations. The IJ, and then the BIA, found Mr. Igbor not credible and denied his CAT deferral application. He petitioned to the Tenth Circuit through pro bono counsel, and during the petition, he was physically removed to Nigeria. That doesn't moot out his petition for review, though, but in this case, the Tenth Circuit ultimately affirmed the agency's denial. Notably, and at the onset, although Mr. Igbor appeared to bring primarily factual challenges to the BIA's denial, the Supreme Court's decision last term in Nasrallah held that for CAT cases, circuits retain jurisdiction to review factual findings. But reviewing those challenges, the 10th Circuit first held that the IJ's exclusion of police reports and court documents from Nigeria pertaining to Mr. Igbor was proper, because 8 CFR section 1287.6B requires, for certain documents from countries like Nigeria who are not signatories to the convention abolishing the requirement of legislation for foreign public documents, a certification from officers in the foreign country and Department of State officials. Mr. Igbor didn't have that. Now, the Tenth Circuit recognized that the law does not, quote, generally require attestation of documents by the very government the alien is seeking to escape, end quote, but that under such circumstances, the applicant must still then authenticate in some other way, such as, quote, attest to any personal knowledge of the contents of the documents, or otherwise explain why they should be accepted as authentic, end quote. Mr. Yigbor, pro se before the immigration judge, was unable to otherwise authenticate his documents, and in any event, the IJ identified inconsistencies in the documents that made them unreliable. The Tenth Circuit went on to reject many of Mr. Igbor's other constitutional challenges, stating, quote, a neutral and unbiased IJ is a fundamental hallmark of the due process clause, end quote. As to the meat of the adverse credibility finding, the 10th noted that Mr. Igor's pro se testimony was significantly more detailed and added many more facts than did his pro se asylum application. Although Mr. Igor explained that he, quote, omitted these details from his application because he is illiterate and someone helped him fill out the paperwork, end quote, the IJ and the BIA applied the correct standard to evaluate these inconsistencies, and the findings were accordingly sustained by the 10th Circuit. Mr. Igbor, therefore, cannot return from Nigeria. But that's an interesting issue in and of itself. So ICE physically removed Mr. Igbor to Nigeria after the BIA ruled, because at that point a final order of removal existed, and Mr. Igbor's stay of removal petition to the Tenth Circuit was denied. However, that doesn't make the petition moot under the statute, and in any event, as ICE quote, made clear through its facilitation of return policy, ICE Policy Directive 11061.1, ICE would facilitate Igbor's return to the United States should he succeed before this court absent extraordinary circumstances, end quote. And as ICE conceded in this case, even Mr. Igbor's aggravated felony convictions do not qualify as extraordinary circumstances that would bar his return by ICE should he succeed on petition for review. Remember that concession. And that is Igbor v. Bar. So there you have it. You're all caught up with the past week's published immigration cases. I'm Kevin A. Gregg, a partner with the law firm Kurzban, Kurzban, Tetzeli, and Pratt, And this has been another episode of Immigration Review. Thank you for listening, and I hope you enjoyed it. If you did, please share it with a friend and rate and review us. Each review helps new listeners find the show. And of course, subscribe to Immigration Review wherever you get your podcasts. If you like what we do and want to become a patron of the show, please check out our Patreon page at www.patreon.com forward slash immigration review, or click on the link in the show notes. And if you're interested in an official immigration review CLE certificate for five credit hours, email me at kgregg at kktplaw.com with your full name and the episode numbers for the ten shows you've listened to. Also, Feel free to email me with questions, comments, or anything at all, and follow the show on Instagram and Facebook, at Immigration Review, and send us a tweet, at ImReview, that's I-M-M Review. I'll be back next Monday for a brand new discussion. Until then, I'm Kevin A. Gregg, bringing you the Immigration Review.